Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from PerseusGrowRoom.com. In this week's interview, we're going to be speaking to Taylor Robinson, who is the Vice President of Science at Rimrock Analytical. And Rimrock Analytical are a place that do genetic testing on cannabis plants, so you can find out their terpene potentials or their cannabinoid potentials, things like that, you know, just what trait the plant is going to express as it grows. So it's a, it's a nice sciencey episode, lots of cool information in this one. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, make sure you got pen and paper handy. Anyway, we'll move straight onto the interview so you can listen to what Taylor has to say and we'll give you the rest of the information where you can find him at the end of the interview. So I hope you enjoy it and roll something nice and I'll catch you at the end of this. See you in a bit. So, yes, thank you for joining us there, Taylor. Uh, we'll quickly introduce ourselves so you know who you're talking to. I am Mackie from the UK. Uh, we have Monkey. Monkey, you want to say hi? Hey, how's it going, Taylor? Monkey down here in the Southeast US. Hope everything's good with you, man. Everything's good, man. Nice meeting you. Um, we have Temple Grower up in Canada. Was that hi, TG? Yeah, welcome. Uh, hey, Taylor. Nice to meet you. Good to be here and uh, looking forward to the chat. And, and we also have Bubble Hawk from Australia. Bubble Hawk is his name, and he's just joining us now. So you want to say hi, Bubble? Good morning, guys. How are we? Sorry, I'm a little bit late. It's um, I'm just waking up here in Australia. You could have smoothly interjected then into your intro. Nobody would have noticed, bro. Oh, well, yeah, they would have, because I did hear you. <laughs> I did hear you say that, oh, he's just come in late, you know. Terrible, terrible. But you, do you want to introduce yourself to Taylor so Taylor knows who you are? Uh, hi, Taylor. Uh, my name's Bubble Hop, mate. I'm uh, from Australia, well, the east coast of Australia over in uh, New South Wales here on the mid-north coast. Nice to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Pleasure. Yeah, so thank you again for coming to join us, Taylor. You're from Rimrock Analytical is what it's called, right? Yeah, you can see me, man. That's right. That's right. Yep. Cool. Out in uh, Denver, Colorado. Cool. Ah. And uh, you test the genetics of cannabis yeah we do all sorts of things we uh we test for genetic traits uh, we do a lot of gender testing the plant sex testing we do a lot of pathogen analysis and then uh, kind of your run-of-the-mill uh chemical analysis so things like uh water and nutrients uh, substrates we can do all that cool so i mean testing the cannabis plant that's got to be an interesting one what kind of things in the genetics do you look for other than sex could you, you check the sex but what else do you look for in there yeah so kind of our full-blown genetic analysis we can look for things like um cannabinoid potential um uh, terpene potential we can look for things uh a little bit more technical like uh what they call homozygosity uh sorry that's a tongue twister mm -hmm. um so that really, we're looking into more or less the stability of the genetics. So over time, as strains tend to become more and more inbred, it's kind of like the thing you see with, um, you know, dogs and cats and things. As you uh, inbreed certain genetics more and more, you tend to promote um, recessive traits. And those aren't always the best for st genetic stability. Uh, so those are things that we can test for as well. Hmm. That's really cool. 
Yeah, I'd be interested in, in seeing some of those profiles. You know, like they always talk about skunk number one as being the most homozygous, stable thing ever. Anything that breeds with it, you get, you know, exactly what you're looking for. But uh, actually to see that in, in, in the data set would be really cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, certainly, mm -hmm. certainly. And then, you know, finally, we can, we're building up the data set. So, you know, mm -hmm. as, as the data, as we get more samples in, um, this, this will improve what we can reference. If you have an unknown, we can give you relation to known strains. Um, so people that have like a really killer plant, you know, mother plant that they got from a bag seed or something, they don't really know what it truly is. Mm. Uh, we can do some oh. genetic comparisons to kind of tell you, well, it's very closely related to, you know, these strains here that are known. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's yeah, that really cool. Yeah, there's not been any way that you can really tell, say if you got like a, a bag of weed, here in the UK, you see it's still illegal. So if you go and buy a bag of weed, you don't really know what it is unless you've grown it yourself. The guy will just sell you it's star dog. So, <laughs> but you can have that tested. Could you, could you do it with dry cannabis as well? Or is it just a live plant? Uh, yeah, I mean, we could do it with dry. Um, typically we're, we're pulling from leaf material, so we're not pulling from the flower itself, right. but the, you know, it's, it's DNA extraction. So really mm -hmm. anywhere mm -hmm. we have viable DNA, we can run the analyses. That's cool, man. Do you, do you do any CRISPR? Do you... <laughs> <laughs> CRISPR? Uh, not not for cannabis, no, but uh, played around with it just kind of on the side. <laughs> oh, cool. You, you played with the CRISPR as well. That's interesting. Yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a total science nerd. So we get we get our hands, uh, roll up the sleeves and get our hands dirty wherever we can. Yeah, just in case anybody in the chat doesn't know that it, the CRISPR is like a, a DNA, a gene editing technology. And you can go in and change different pieces of DNA and shit. That's really interesting. It's like, like it's new technology, really. It's only been around for a few years, right? It's been around for a while. Um, they really just adapted it in the last several years. Uh, actually won a Nobel Prize. Uh, the couple of uh, women that, that came up with that scientist. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's pretty revolutionary. Uh, the things that they're, they're being able to do with that now. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we'd be able to have like Spider-Man powers one day. Oh, you can it's only you can only expect uh -huh. that, right? It's what we're hoping good for, right? What, what good are they if everybody has them, though, Mackie? You know? Yeah, exactly. It's better not be coming out of taxpayer money unless they're working on them Spider-Man genes. <laughs> so, do you guys grow yourself? Sorry, TG. Did you have a question there? I just wanted to ask about your the profiling with the DNA that you've done. Um, I don't know how much you've done of that, but um, have you noticed any like? you know, most stuff tends to be derivatives of, like everybody talks about skunk haze and, and Northern Lights as kind of the three grandparent strains. Have you ever, have you noticed any, you know, uh, tendencies towards any one thing, like no matter what people mm -hmm. are bringing in, it, it happens to be mostly skunk or something like this, or is it kind of uh, all over the map? It, it's, it's fairly varied. Um, I'll say this, that, you know, when you go through what they call kind of the phylogenetic tree, it's basically your, the lineage of that plant, genetically mm -hmm. speaking. Um, sure. It does all trend back to some sort of root. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of those far back ancestral DNA or you know, traits have been lost or mm -hmm. they haven't been tested yet, you know, directly tested. So right. we, we, can, we can show genetic relationships and they'll branch back to a common ancestor, but we don't necessarily always have you know, the representative strain yeah. that great, great, great grandparent or whatever that was some Landry strain way back when. Right, um, right. 
but yeah, a lot, a lot of variability, but also, you know, you'll see, you know, for, for better or for worse, you'll see a lot of cases where there'll be a really popular new strain or really popular new genetic and everyone wants to do crosses with that. And yeah, that's cool. You come up with a lot of really interesting phenotypes that way. Um, but you do run a risk potentially of kind of intermingling a lot of the same genes. Right. And that it's, it's not inherently bad, but, um, you know, there is a chance that if there's, you know, let's say, for example, susceptibility, a greater susceptibility to, you know, fusarium infection or some sort of fungal pathogen, or, you know, we talk a lot mm -hmm. about, we do a lot of testing on all of these new emerging viruses and viroids, mm -hmm. um, you know, plants have an, a, an immune system and some are better or, you know, not quite as well equipped at uh, inherently fighting those off. Um, so just things to be kind of cognizant about and, you know, the service that we provide there is trying to really get down to the nitty gritty on a lot of those details. Yeah, that's super important. The hops latent viroid is running rampant here in Canada, allegedly. Uh, so a few of the labs are saying a lot of the, the nurseries and even the LPs have, uh, have issues with it. We talked to the one guy who had to nuke his entire crop, you know, because, uh, he had it in it, but he didn't know oh, man. because nobody was testing for it and until they were. So yeah, yeah. important yeah, work for sure. Big bummer. Yeah. So in what situations would people usually have their cannabis tested? You know, for this type of service, the the full genetic screen. Um right. really we see it used in two scenarios. One, and it's almost always in the breeder side, um, whether they're uh, providing clones or whether they are, um, you know, providing seeds, there's that side. And then those that are using mom plants, kind of the example I used earlier that again, they're pulling clones, whether it's for mm -hmm. personal use or for whatever operation they're running. Um, and they just don't necessarily have a good, uh, history from that plant. Um, so we'll, we'll do it a lot, mostly for that, um, the price point has come way, way down on full genome sequencing. Um, even looking back five, 10 years ago, it was just not commercially viable for hobbyists or even mid-size grow operations to pursue. But with you know technological advancements and things, prices come down quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So it's getting to be a little bit more attractive for kind of those medium-sized um, grows. And hopefully, you know, we hope to continue to optimize it and get that price even further down just so that uh, the service and that data is available to more and more people and what kind of data like do you get a lot a series of lines like a, a table saying you know what what the THE percentage is cbd all the different cannabinoids how much information do you actually get when you do one of these tests yeah so you get a you get a full report from it um it gives you the it gives you terpene and cannabinoid. I, I like to call it potential because there's yeah. such an environmental impact in it. Like, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. uh, of course it's not guaranteed, but it can be valuable to see, you know, what is the potential if, if the environmental conditions, if the grow, every, if everything goes perfectly, this is what inherently the potential of this genetic strain is. Mm. Um, you know, so it can provide details on that. Again, the, the genetic stability, which if you're planning a long-term, uh, cultivation process from this plant is important, right? You don't want to get this to be one of your major cultivars. And then, you know, a year or two down the road, it just collapses. And all of a sudden you can't, you know, you don't get any yield out of it or, you know, it dies out on you. Um, so it's, it's more of kind of a long-term investment in that way. Mm -hmm. 
It's interesting, man. But it's a shame we don't have any, any of these uh, facilities here in the UK because it would be fun to get your cannabis tested. So what's the whole process? Does somebody send you in a leaf or do you go and take a clip yourself or what's the process of getting the cannabis tested? Yeah, usually it's mail-in. Um, and we'll, we have you know, sampling instructions on, on how to process that, collect some leaves. Uh, from there, we'll once we get into the lab, like as I said, we do a DNA extraction and cleanup. And then through a series of steps, we use what's called um, next generation sequencing. And that's part of that group of, of technologies that's really come out in the last several years that's kind of democratized the gene sequencing to a much wider audience. Um, mm. You know, if you think back to the Human Genome Project, which was kind of the mid late 90s trickling into the early aughts, um, you know, millions and millions of dollars and labs all around the world, scientists mm -hmm. from everywhere trying to put together the genome of one human individual, essentially. And now fast forward to today and we can do a full human, you know, there's a, there's companies out there that says they can do a hundred dollar human genome, which TBD on whether they're able to execute on that, but it, it does illustrate how far we've come in terms of technology and processing power. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Usually the way it goes, but uh, almost tabletop now, <laughs> it seems like. Totally. Totally. DIY. So how, how long have you guys been doing this now? Uh, we're pretty new. I've been uh, founded Rimrock about three years ago. Right, cool. Um, so yeah, we're still pretty fresh, new to the scene. But uh, I've been doing the science thing for my whole life, really. Um, my dad had a uh, nursery greenhouse, but he also had a, a laboratory that he ran, um, kind of concurrent career paths. And so I was exposed to the science lab way back when I was in diapers. So I cool. guess I come by it, honestly. <laughs> did he have like a lab in the house then yeah yeah he had a little side business <laughs> and uh he was doing some things so yeah i was i was exposed early on that'd be crazy man he was like in the basement or something your dad's got a lab <laughs> yeah. like yeah, that's lab man remember that's that? right remember like, oh, yeah. this lab member remember yeah i was dd <laughs> i was the one giving him, giving him fits. <laughs> what does this button do <laughs> <laughs> yeah man quality tv i love that shit so, so you, uh, sorry, Bubble. No, I was just going to say, so when, when you're doing the full analysis, obviously, that is that bringing up, um, you know, the different pesticides and things like that they're using as well? Mm. I'm assuming it does or? Uh, we're not doing pesticide analysis. We're really not doing anything right now for regulatory testing. Um, right. So okay. that's, that's a whole other avenue where you can do, you know, your cannabinoid profile and mycotoxins and pesticides. Um, maybe one day it's just really kind of strategically stayed away from that until the laws and regulations get a little bit more streamlined and uniform. Uh, it's right. kind of a regulatory landmine landfill out there. So um, we're doing more testing on the support side of things. So as I mentioned, pathogen testing and the, you know, plant sex testing and genetic mm -hmm. traits and things like that, where people can use that information to better optimize their grows. Um, nice. Okay. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll get into the regulatory stuff, but not yet. Just, just curious. See, um, do you guys see a lot of like within respect to that the regulatory side? Is there a lot of fuckery basically <laughs> that goes on? I ask because, like, like you said, in in your uh, realm of of work, it seems like there really is. I mean, there's benefit to having really good genetics come out of it, but ultimately, as as a breeder, you have what you have, and you can't fake 
actually using it you know what i mean the numbers you can you can fudge but on the other side though with the regulated or the the testing for pesticides and, and cannabinoid content and stuff that definitely can be skewed and here in canada at least there's a big shit show in the analytical scene right now with with uh, labs that you can certain labs if you know uh, a certain person you can you can contact them and get the numbers you want type of thing and it is totally just mm -hmm degraded you know everybody's trust to say the least in you know analytical testing here um and i think it'll take a long time to actually come back from that because but like i say is that is that a big thing down in in colorado or i guess more broadly in the states um or is it more regulated and maybe not like you said um yeah no, i would say we're certainly not immune to that and it's it's really unfortunate for the exact reason you said um you know there's you, you build that general distrust in, in the science and the analytics and it you, you do have to dig yourself out of that and it takes uh, it takes time and it takes mm -hmm. um, a lot of work to recover from that um, I haven't seen it specifically but every once in a while you'll see somebody that's like man I got 40 percent total THC and you're like right really yeah exact thing here yeah it doesn't seem doesn't seem biologically possible when, when you look at that as like a, a mass percentage of the total flower, but yeah, exactly. um, yeah, yeah. No, it's a concern. I, I'm optimistic that it'll improve again, as, as I mentioned, as we get more uniform guidelines and regulations, um, you know, you need to, you need to have practices in place where, you know, the methodology that's used is uniform that mm -hmm. you know the quality control and the standards the reference standards that labs are using is uniform mm -hmm. um because otherwise you know it there there are nefarious labs out there to be sure that are totally just you know you know padding numbers for for a fee um but less nefariously i would say there there's labs out there that especially early early on um they're they're trying to give good data but you know cannabis in general and working with plants and plant science, uh, it's a complicated matrix. And it's it's actually yeah. quite difficult to get very uniform data from such a complex matrix. And matrix, I mean, yeah. just all the things that make up that plant tissue. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah there's, there's, you know, your, your cannabinoids you're looking at, but, you know, maybe some of the, um, you know, trichomes or something are causing an interference or some of the phenols or some of the, all, all the different things that make up that tissue. Um, so I think we're just now we're getting kind of over the hump on in terms of a technical aspect to improve that. And a lot of the instrumentation companies that are offering the HPLCs and the GCMSs and the, the things that are used for those types of analyses, uh, they're improving their method development. Um, so again, I, I think things will improve over time and a lot of those bad actors are going to get weeded out. No, no pun intended, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it is a problem to be sure. Hmm. Well, are you able to test seed? Did you seeds? Uh, we can test seeds. Um, it's, uh, the downside to it is to extract enough genetic material. It is destructive. Mm -hmm. So when we do that, it's, you know, if you're doing it for genetic genotyping, um, mm -hmm. you know, presumably you have multiple seeds of the same, yeah, from same, the same plants and you want to see how much the, the genetics have differed between each seed. Right. So I'm, right. Try and get an average like that. Yep, exactly. And then, 
we also do it in larger grows, particularly like field grows, where it can get kind of a statistical average in terms of you know gender or in terms of uh, pathogens. So there are certain viruses and viroids, particularly that are transmitted vertically um, through seeds. Okay. And so if we can get a sample set, you know, you can get a general idea of saying, well, you're looking at like a 5% positivity rate or a 1% positivity rate, or we didn't test, we didn't detect it at all. Um, and that can kind of give you a heads up as to what you can expect your broader crop to look mm. like. Mm. I suppose it's something you should invest in if you're going to do big ass grows, big yeah. warehouse grows. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, you get a few bad apples in your in your crop and, you know, particularly outdoor grows, you're a little bit more at the mercy of the wildlife and insects and other potential vectors that can spread disease. So, you know, what could potentially be a relatively small issue could really balloon uh, if you're not careful. Do the genetics change over time, you know? So if you took one from a small cutting and then take, take it like six months later when it's a much bigger plant and it's lived through its life. Did the genetics get altered at all to try and fight bugs or pests? Uh, you know the genetics. Mean, like, did they express themselves more differently? Yeah, yeah. So the the core genetics. So what you you refer to as the genotype is essentially the genetic code that mm -hmm. the plant is working off of, and then the phenotype is how those genetics are expressed. And the phenotypes mm -hmm. what are the traits that you actually see. So as a plant ages, as it's exposed to different stresses and pests and disease and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, its phenotype can certainly change in the way that it expresses certain genes and certain mm -hmm. combinations of genes can change over time. The genes themselves are relatively stable, particularly within the lifespan of a single plant, although that's mm -hmm. not to say that mutations don't occur. Um, Obviously, that's the case. That's how genetic change happens naturally, is slow mutation. Is that something you're able to check as well when you do the genetics check? Is there going to be mutations like that? Yeah, we, yeah, we can check for that. Uh, it really depends down on the level of specificity. So um, we have a different type of gene sequencing process. Uh, it's called Sanger sequencing. And what it does is it can tell you genetic changes down to a single base pair. Cool. And not to go too deep into the woods, but that's, you know, essentially one letter, you know, if you have a gene mm -hmm. that's made up of ATCG is the letters of our, our genetic code. If one of those changes in a line, it can pick that up potentially. So those are the types of those. And, you know, there's some other small genetic mutations that can occur that are the primary drivers to changes that we see over time. That would be very cool to be able to look that deep into the DNA. Do you think you'll be able to change things eventually? No, but like the CRISPR, and we you could design the perfect cannabis plant. You know, like designer babies. Like, well, I want this baby to have blue eyes and <laughs> long legs and all this shit. You know, you can pro you can uh, allegedly maybe you can program this into a baby already using CRISPR. Do you think you could do the same kind of thing with a cannabis plant and be like, I want you extra stinky and tasting like strawberries? Oh, big leaves, big buds, fast growth. Would you be able to edit them kind of genes eventually? Uh, not now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the short answer is, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, CRISPR is is pretty versatile um, in the sense that you can use it on a lot of different organisms and they're optimizing it every day. Um, I'd say the big challenge is moving from a hypothetical realm where, yeah, you could change all these different genetic traits, uh, moving that into a practical space um 
it's really complex how different genes interact to lead to a certain phenotype. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't, we don't understand all of those nuanced interactions necessarily. You know, it's something that we'll, we'll learn and we'll get better at, I think. But um, that's, that's where the real change is, is we can go through and we can change really any section of the genome, but you need to know which specific areas to change and how to change them mm-hmm. to have a functional mm-hmm. change to the, the yeah. observed yeah. effect. Yeah. And that's the same with, that's the same with people, you know, it's a big, Mm -hmm. uh, big concern of designer babies, as you referenced. And I Mm -hmm. think, yeah, we, we know a lot less than, um, you know, the, the sci-fi may, may depict where you're, you're in the Gattaca world and everyone's kind of optimized to be the perfect organism. (laughs) Type into the computer. I'd like some, you know, like on the matrix, right? Where you plug the shit in and you're like, oh no, come to now. (laughs) But you know, you, you could essentially save, like, could you do this? with the plants so you want you want your child to be like michael <coughs> jordan so you get an exact copy of michael jordan's dna <laughs> and make an exact I, copy like that you know is would that be the same could you do the same thing with a plant so you got the original jack Hera, you have the genetic sequence of that would you be able to transplant into transplant that into cells and grow an exact replica of a strain that you can't really find anymore yeah, I'm not going to say it's impossible. I was going to say that um, all you need is a, a parent plant. You just clone it, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but if the plant uh, isn't around, isn't it? like you could, uh, like a save point, <laughs> you know, yeah. the save file, you get a, a Jack Herrera, a White Widow, and you save that now as it is. And then in 25 years time, if there are no, none of those plants around, you could get them genetics, repeat them to have exactly the same strain as it was from 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm not going to say, I'm, not, I'm never going to say never. Um, I don't think that's uh, within our capability now, but um, we're, we're getting better all the time. <laughs> I think what you'll see, honestly, with, especially with, you know, really, really targeted genetic editing technologies such as CRISPR and, you know, there's a whole range of other tools too. CRISPR is just kind of the latest and greatest, really. Cool. Um, you're going to see more things like, um, enhanced disease resistance traits. You're going to see things like, you know, the, uh, unfortunately, the, the, the things we've seen in larger agribusiness, um, you know, you see pesticide resistance or herbicide resistance genes um, where, you know, you can blanket spray a crop and it'll kill all the pest weeds, but it won't kill your primary crop, right? Because you've mm-hmm. introduced a gene that makes it resistant to glyphosate or to, you know, whatever other herbicide you're using. Um, yeah. I can envision things like that because there's, it's specific to each plant, but there's already kind of a recipe book on those types of modifications. Mm. Um, so I'd see that more, I think, before, quote unquote, genetically engineering the perfect cannabis plant. And that's, you know, that going deeper into that, it's kind of a philosophical conversation of, you know, the perfect cannabis plant to you might not be the perfect mm-hmm. cannabis plant yeah, to me. Exactly. To everyone else, you know. Exactly. They did come up with smellless weed. There's a company here that they either bred, selected, or I doubt they edited it, but, you know, they came up with some cannabis that had no smell and they were marketing it as such, which, you know, discreet weed and shit like that, but you know, that's cool and all, and, you know, a scientific breakthrough maybe, but not something most cannabis consumers would really want, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's weird, yeah. We we made you a perfectly bland cannabis strain to uh, no scent of flavor or smell. 
They I mean, I've stop grown them. Well, but I didn't keep it, you know. <laughs> it may actually have some use in culinary, though. You're not trying to affect the flavor mm. of your food. Maybe. Yeah. 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 yeah interesting. He's distillate, then. Fuck. You know. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long? How long does it take uh, once somebody sends you a sample? Um, does it take like is it something that can happen in a day or you know do they get those results back quite quickly what what's the sort of turnaround on it yeah so depends on the test so the things that are really time sensitive things like pathogen screening and plant sex testing um we turn those around in a day or two at, at most in most cases um just because you know time is money you're trying to conserve time uh, by running these tests and whether you're Calling males or isolating males or isolating or you know, remediating diseased plants. Um, so we turn those around really fast. The, the gene sequencing takes longer. Um, you know, it typically takes up a couple of weeks. And that's just a function of all the different processes that are involved. I mentioned really from a high level, the DNA extraction and cleanup and then getting it on the machine. And the sequencing machine itself can take many days where it's just, you know, you're cranking through so much material um, you know, that's the trade-off for a lot of the high cost stuff is it just, it takes more time. Mm. Well, okay. Yeah. Just interesting um, to, mm. you know, cause, uh, you, you know, you see things like on South Park when, you know, Towley brings in his little machine, sets it up on the table, puts a couple nuggets in it, you know, he's like, well, it's good shit. But it's <laughs> like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you, obviously yeah. we know that's not how quickly it happens, but that's why I was interested is what, what the sort of turnaround on that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not Star Trek yet. Those types of machines, allegedly, if you believe the NIR, the near infrared spectrometry, they do have desktop models where you do plug in your weed, wait five minutes, and it's like it was twenty five percent THC. Congratulations! But whether or not it's actually accurate, but if they can do it on like stars billions of miles away, and tell us what the atmosphere is made of by the way the light refracts from it, it's pretty cool. NIR isn't new, but uh, it's new to cannabis i would say mm. and needs, needs some work yet but yeah no I, I agree i think that's that's certainly promising for uh you know phenotypic traits like you said like cannabinoid profiles um in ir um there's, there's a couple other infrared spectrophotometry methods um mm. you know that have been around for a while and i think they'll optimize those and they'll be more robust the the challenge with that is you know the two things you look at is uh, sensitivity and selectivity. So, you know, how how accurate is it, especially down to lower levels, and how discerning is it against the different cannabinoids or different matrices that it may encounter? Um, right. So what what the raw data looks like on those is you get peaks. So if you can envision almost like a um, you know a bell curve is is more or less what they'll be. And what you want is really sharp curves that show a really nice peak and you know pretty low overlap with other constituents but that's not always the case and if you get overlaps it may double it may miss miss some other constituents and so you, you run into some challenges like that and i think those are some of the things we need to still clean up a little bit but right now for cannabinoids they're doing you know uh, liquid chromatography uh, for the most part with a mass spectrophotometer on the end and those are tremendously sensitive, very accurate um, processes. They just they're, they're time consuming and you know require specialized equipment and things. Definitely. Is it very just cool. cannabis that you work with? You do any other crops? 
Uh, we occasionally will do some other crops. Um, so we do, I'm affiliated with a water treatment company uh, called Silver Bullet Water Treatment. And we do uh, engineering designs and uh, implementation for water treatment systems for what we call the controlled environment agriculture space. Hmm. And that's mostly cannabis, but it includes some of the indoor leafy greens and micro herbs and um, you know, microgreens, I should say. Um, a lot of those grows, a lot of uh, uh, aeroponic farms, which is interesting because you have both the fish and the plants kind of mm -hmm. integrated. Um, so we'll, we'll do some testing on those types of things, but the majority definitely is cannabis. Nice. It's interesting, man. I'd like to give it a shot. I suppose uh, these machines are expensive, though. How, how expensive is it to get your cannabis tested? How much do you have to, how much do you charge? For um, you talking about the whole like genotype, yeah, the whole yeah, enchilada. Mm -hmm. uh, we're doing that for a couple hundred dollars. Um, yeah, like I said, the the cost is coming down quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the gender tests and stuff, or the sex tests, I should say. Um, we're doing those for thirteen a sample. Uh, thirteen, those are, thirteen bucks. Yeah, yeah, nice. US bucks. Um, mm -hmm. And those are usually, you know. People do those in bulk typically, so we we really work hard to keep the costs as low as we can on those. Um, That's turn cheap, for you. Man. you know, might as well just pay that just to go and check out. I got the the seeds. Let's see which one's the best for the cuttings for the mother. You know, <laughs> that's fucking cool, yeah, man. That's awesome. I'd say if there's a lab here in the city, I would I'd be in there every grow with my regulars testing my sex. <laughs> hmm. it cost cost me more in shipping i reckon yeah yeah, yeah fucking hell yeah yeah we, we've got a domestically for the lower 48 we have a shipping arrangement so we we can keep those costs pretty minimal but still trying to figure out the international thing hmm. yeah i well, to... i mean sorry Bob. no i was just gonna say you know as far as um as far as coming from here if i'm sending it then there's the whole lot the whole um international drugs charges thing that we've got to yeah. up you know imagine yeah. getting done like that for a leaf <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that would be a that would be a shot yeah shit yeah, man shipping from down under i i don't know i may be retired by the time it gets to the lab Proof. yeah well yeah <laughs> we've worked that one out it takes weeks yeah you'll, weeks, be, yeah. you'll be testing compost basically when it gets there yeah, exactly. Yeah, we shipped some uh, water treatment equipment to, to Australia and to uh, South Africa a while back. And man, it's a process. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Shipping is expensive nowadays. Yeah, it's wild. What about at-home testing? Do you all have anything that at-home sex testing for cannabis? Nothing that you can do 100% at your house. Um, like I said, we just do the mail-in kits. Um, I could envision... Uh, there being some advancements in the space. I don't know that they exist yet, but you know, you're thinking of like almost like an at-home pregnancy test or something, right? Where you could come up with a pretty much a or couple like, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Like a COVID test or a pregnancy test, you know, put a sample here. He said the know. word, everybody, smoke, smoke. I've, I've already got my mighty is hot, so I'm already doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's a great idea. Um you know, functionally or fundamentally, there's a difference in the methods that are being used now. So those types of tests are um, antigen or immuno-based. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they use uh, kind of an antibody-antigen interaction to give you a positive or negative or you know, go-no-go type result. 
Whereas when we're doing it in the lab, we're using a process called qPCR. Um, and so the qPCR is actually looking directly at a specific gene or a specific section of the gene. Uh, in this case, for sex, it's looking at the Y chromosome. So females right. will have double X, male will have XY. So if there's, cool. a, if there's a Y chromosome present, we know it's a male. And if not, by a process of deduction, we know it's a female. Um, and so it's actually amplifying that section of the gene and giving us a signal. So it's really, really sensitive and it's really, really accurate. Um, whereas, you know, as we've kind of run into the, the antigen tests are very they're highly specific, um, but there, there can be some false positive, false negative things mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. um, so not perfect. Nothing's perfect, but that, that would be a, that'd be a very interesting product for sure. It's one I would buy for sure. At home test be easy to do. Mm. Yeah. I have an antigen test here. Trying it's to. Positive. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i cut you off there <laughs> no it's all good i'm no, just thinking thinking out loud i think um you know really trying to simplify the sample prep process of that would be the key to making that work right you know mm -hmm. as i said plant plant tissues are notoriously difficult especially for molecular tests just because there's so many yeah. interferences in there the yeah. you know the different uh, organic molecules and things in there can interact in ways that you don't really want right Sampling is, in my opinion, you know, I'm, I've been in, you know, labs and I'm a geologist by trade. So we do like rock sampling in the field and stuff. Sampling by far the most important part of analysis. Like if you don't have proper technique in your, in your sample uh, retrieval, all your data is fucking garbage. So, um, yeah. And that's, that's again, exactly like you say with cannabis, how do you homogenize a crop and say that this is that percent and has this and that in terms, at least with the the cannabinoids and terpenes and stuff um it's like impossible so hopefully that'll somehow get more robust but uh yeah it's a it's kind of a shit show at this point so yeah. as an yeah. experienced tester taylor what's the highest thc potential you've seen in a plant uh, a real one or a fake one no. <laughs> <laughs> in, real. in your own personal test test you've done oh uh, we, we don't really test the cannabinoids too much in-house. I have a I have a little test kit that I do, uh, like a thin film chromatography type uh, instrument that I have. But that's really just mostly for me, my, my home grow and my buddies and stuff. Um, sure. And we're, I mean, I'm no uh, expert grower by any means. I stumble my eye through every crop, I feel like. But um, We'll do. We'll do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think low low to mid 20s is reasonable um in terms of total thc that that would be a pretty pretty high uh you know strain i would think in in the context of what you can expect kind of biologically and we're talking about it earlier people are throwing out 30s and 40s and things like that and yeah you know maybe they'll get that high but i i think there's going to be an inherent limitation based on what the plant can produce if you think yes. about you know if you think about it naturally you know what are the trichomes and what are the cannabinoids from a you know selfish perspective if you're taking the, pur the purview of the plant itself a lot of it is insect repellent and you know it's it's things to you know help preserve its growth right and so but there's no free lunch so all of the energy it's putting into cannabinoids and terpenes and and all these things it's pulling from you know, vascular yeah. growth or vegetative growth or, or something mm -hmm. else. It's mm -hmm. an exchange, right? 
we mm -hmm. kind of we kind of step past that by supercharging it with supplemental CO2 and supercharging it with nutrients and all of the different inputs that that we can do to kind of optimize things. But you're still going to run up against the inherent barrier that's set forth by its genetics, right? Mm -hmm. Well said, yeah. Is the market there driven by THC like it is here? Here, like you can't, if you're a retailer, you can't sell anything like under 20%. You, it just won't sell. So is, is it the same there or is it more nuanced? I hope nuanced. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really interesting conversation. I think um, it certainly was that way. I totally had that impression kind of early on in the early days of you know, legalization, particularly around Colorado, um, California, some of the early adopters. Um, it was all about how much THC can we push. Uh, I'd say more recently, it's definitely, I see a more nuanced approach. I see a lot more talk about flavor, you know, flavonoids and flavors mm -hmm. and smells and uh, terpenes is, is, that's the flavor of the week. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of people are talking about, you know, the different profiles and things. And I, and I think that, you know, the, the total cannabinoid content is still an important factor but my sense is that it's not the factor anymore, um, at least from what I've seen. Um, yeah. People that want to just get blitzed on super high THC, I think they're looking at concentrates and extracts mm -hmm. and things for the most part. Um, and then the, the people that are looking for, you know, good flour in, in a lot of cases, not, of course, not all, but in a lot of cases, I think they're going more for kind of a flavor experience or kind of the, the entourage effect of, you know, what, what is the high going to be like, you know, is this going to be a euphoric high? Is this going to be a sleepy high? I, I see a lot more talk around the effect more so than, you know, just hammering as high a number of cannabinoids yeah. as you can get. That's really good to hear. Cause yeah, it's just, if the numbers, I mean, you might as well just, you know, wear a Dolce and Gabbana thing, but the bag's a bag, whether it, they're still going to function as a bag, but whether or not, uh, you know, you're paying $500 for a 30% thing or, you know, lesser money for something that's supposedly shittier, but not, you know, because it does the same thing or maybe even better because, yeah, like you said, the entourage effect and all those other compounds that you probably lose in, in increasing the cannabinoids are, are there. So yeah, that's, that's good to hear. Um, I'm a big fan of obviously the, you know, the 14% Afghanis versus the 29% Gorilla Glue, but as long as he's got a shitload of terpenes in, mm-hmm. The whole package you know that's what it yeah. needs so right yeah. and i think it, it'll be it'll be no different than a lot of other consumer-based you know marketing approaches that as, as more and more people get involved more and more uh you know consumers start to adopt cannabis and the taboo kind of slowly fades over time um i think the the market will eventually lend itself more towards like, like you said almost more of like a connoisseurial type approach versus There'll always be a, a demand for, you know, the highest strength stuff, but I, I can see the the tables flipping where it will be not the primary driver. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. So you say you had your own home grow. Yeah, I just have a little tent here in the basement that I play around with some stuff. Yeah. Nice. What's the what's the rules in Colorado? Uh, Colorado has actually pretty decent rules for, for home grows. Um, I forget the exact number. I think you can do like four or five plants per person of age in the household. Um, 
in in flour, they I think they segregate them. So there's a certain number that you can have in flour versus a certain number you can have in veg. Right. Um, oh, common sense approach. I like that. Yeah, it seems more reasonable. Some, you know, like Michigan and some other places, they're, they're really strict, even for like people with medical cards. Um, they can only have like four or five plants total in a house. And it gets yeah. really tricky for them when they're, especially when they're trying to grow their own medicine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's tricky to, to really be, you know, economical or efficient, I guess is the word. Um, but Colorado is a lot better. I, I usually don't max it out. I'm usually just kind of playing around with, a, you know, a few at a time, but um, yeah. But, you know, if, uh, five plants for every person who's old enough, is that 18 or 21? That'd be 21. Uh, 20, it'd be 21. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, it's a Colorado's reason to try and keep your kids at home for as long as possible. <laughs> there hey, you go. Don't move out yet, bro. As long as we're Stay. paying for your healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Colorado was three plants per person, a maximum of 12 per household, but, but see, it, it could change in the, in uh, county to county i'm not really sure yeah you, you could be right i i had five in my head but um you, you could be right yeah I, I mean uh somebody told me as well i believe that they had a a clause down in home grow as well that if you're using edibles you're allowed to grow more which actually makes sense because it takes more to make edibles so i think it sounds like colorado what people have told me at least is a little bit easier to deal with on the home grow than, than some states yeah, and I haven't heard of any like raids or anything. I think it's so low on the the priority list now uh, for mm-hmm. local authorities. <laughs> you know, I don't think they're knocking down doors for people that you know. If you're allowed to have three or four plants, they're not beating you up for having five. I um, understand, and that, that just makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, still not allowed to here in the UK. It's piss take outlaw pagan there says will we ever be able to we, i think one day we will be able to we just have to wait well yeah i mean i'm in the states and i'm asking myself that question mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, but i'm in an area that's you know prohibition city so crazy yeah it's it's pretty wild you know you look at the map uh, of the states on the the states that have independently legalized wreck uh, medical or decriminalized and you know it was kind of a patchwork and now it's pretty much all but a few holdouts and it's just i don't know what's more frustrating is total prohibition or you know this kind of like half pregnant type deal where it's like are we legal or are we not legal you guys need to figure it out mm. over this imaginary line you're illegal but here's yeah, right but I think um, yeah, not just mass- illegal, but can be like massively prosecuted for yeah, it. You can okay. massively, yeah. Yeah, I think across a border, man, that's a federal offense. Even if those states are legal, the federal government gets involved with that. Yeah, it's, it's right. stupid. It's dumb. Yeah. Interstate mm-hmm. commerce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. over over the east of us, uh, Kansas, Texas, they they don't take kindly to us Coloradans with our hippie ways. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, well, <laughs> Colorado, weed everywhere. Yeah. Now New Mexico's in in the mix, so you know Texas has just one person closer to them, and of course there you got Oklahoma. So they're surrounded now. Yeah, they're getting surrounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was pretty surprised about Oklahoma. They're pretty. They seem pretty strict to me, but uh, yeah, and they got some yeah. like really good rules as well. Everybody who is in cannabis right now is coming from Oklahoma by the sound of it, because the rules are so lenient. It's crazy. Yeah, it's the Wild West out there for sure. Mm. It sounds like the Wild West as well. It's because it's, it's way down south, isn't it? Just above Texas. I don't know anything about Oklahoma, like at all, other than 
Timothy McVeigh. McVeigh. It's where the wind blows, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, up here. Yeah. yeah. No comment. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So some interesting shit that you've got going on. How, can you can you talk about the process of the sampling, or would you, or you prefer not to? You know, like what happens when a sample comes into you? What's the process? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, it, it's contingent on the type of analysis that we're looking for. But if we were to use any, really, any of the molecular tests, uh, molecular being genetic based tests, um, it, it follows kind of the general similar guideline. Uh, you know, we do the sample login. I'm going to track all of that information uh, coming from the client. And in terms of processing, there's one of a couple different ways that we'll do a DNA extraction. That's really the root of all of those types of tests is pulling out viable DNA from the tissue itself. And then um, if we're doing PCR, um, we'll do uh, set up what we call a master mix, which has all the different enzymes and things that are used to uh, for that specific assay. So if we're looking at, let's say we're, we're going to test for the presence of Fusarium oxysporum, um, we have a specific PCR-based assay that will look for that pathogen, a specific gene that only is only expressed in that specific organism. Um, and the way PCR works is uh, another Nobel Prize um, uh, process. Who, who would have known all these different Nobel Prize winning scientific <laughs> methods would be used in cannabis later on? But, Crazy, uh, yeah. <laughs> what it does is it, it leverages a specific enzyme that all of our bodies use to replicate our DNA when our cells are dividing. It's called polymerase. Right. What this does is we use that and it will amplify that specific section of the gene of interest and it amplifies it again and again and again. So PCR stands for polymerase chain reaction. It's this chain reaction where we just amplify the specific target hundreds and thousands, even millions of times in certain cases. And each wow. time it we amplify it, it releases a little fluorophore, a little signal that uh, our instrument can detect. So ultimately Whoa. what you get up is a... Every time you make a copy, it gives you a little ping, basically. And at the end of the test, you get this chart that shows your amplification signal. And in the case of that I'm using a fusarium here, um, you know, we do an internal control that's just a generic cannabis gene to show that the test worked. So that will that should always amplify. And then if you have the other channel um, amplify, then you know that that pathogen is present uh, with a really high degree of confidence. Um, and That's it's crazy. It's quantitative in the sense that you can, in a way, because you know how many cycles you've run, how many different times you've amplified that target, hmm. uh, based on how strong your signal is at the end, you can roughly back calculate how many copies were made. And that will lead you to roughly how much starting material, i.e. how much, how much pathogen was originally present. Hmm. Uh, so you can get kind of a general idea of the amount so not only presence, absence, but a little bit uh, of quantity as well. That's some complex shit, man. <laughs> I, I did my so best. It's normal folk, the, you know. <laughs> so it's normal folk. That's complex, man. But that's, that's proper interesting how it gives off a signal like that as well. Yeah, that's yeah, clever. The guy that uh, came up with it, Kerry uh, Mollis, was uh, like, this professor in Southern California, kind of like a hippie surfer dude that was always kind of in trouble and has a really interesting backstory, but he was the one that came up with PCR back in the day. <laughs> wow. 
That's a cool issue. You ever tested your own DNA? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to, yeah. man. I, I couldn't help myself. Like, come on, I've got to see what my skin looks these, like under there. You got all these tools. You're you're in some gene sequencing. Yeah, I was thinking about doing it. I, I was thinking a monkey about with four butts. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I got a question for you. Um, and feel free, maybe you know, to not answer or. or hold back or whatever Plead the fifth. but and, and i don't know too much about the whole situation here but phylos bioscience um is in the news quite a bit and i know they do similar things to what you guys do in terms of genome sequencing and and stuff but they've been accused of you know collaborating with bigger companies you know monsanto types and maybe um, having been take taking the genetics from growers and, and using it for their own maybe purposes in the future um do you know anything about this or what? I, i'm sure you know i i can guess what your opinion is on it but uh yeah there's any do you have anything to maybe say about that potentially <laughs> sorry i'm coughing yeah, no, that's good. a good yeah that's uh yeah that's another one that's unfortunate um <clears throat> you hit that bone good yeah yeah that one that one was smooth <laughs> 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 Um, yeah, I, I'm not super well versed on the whole phyla situation beyond kind of what, what you detailed there. Um, yeah, you know, I know that they, they had kind of like the phylus universe or whatever they're calling it. That was, that was essentially their database, right. Of different strains and genomes that they had, you know, compiled over time. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding, yeah, they, they kind of took that and kind of held it close to their chest and, you know, maybe weren't quite as open with what ultimate use of that data was going to be um again i think when you have such a you know nascent industry or new industry and new services and things emerging i think there's going to be people that try to take advantage um i i, I don't know enough to really say yeah much about I, think I, I know that there there's definitely been some some pushback from people i've heard it more from kind of the consumer end of people that had interfaced with them uh, particularly when you know we're trying to uh, offer similar services in terms of genotyping, um, you know, all you can do really is you know take care of what you're doing internally as an organization, and you know, mm -hmm. the the objective of ours is really just trying to democratize or share data and mm -hmm. make these you know analytical processes as widely available as possible. We're not trying to sell out to you know some sort of other organization or there is some you know, concerns over patent ability and, you know, who owns, can you own a strain or can you patent a genetic sequence and all these different things. And, you know, I, I, it's an interesting conversation. It, it seems to me, you know, the, the fact alone that you brought it up that maybe they're not doing it the best way or maybe they hadn't handled it in the best way. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't really know the whole situation. Yeah, I think it's a lot more details than probably most people are privy to, but yeah. Short from what I've read, it's shitty of true, but yeah, basically, yeah, totally. Them guys in Canada, TG. Uh, no, they're I think they're headquartered in the Pacific Northwest somewhere, Oregon, I believe. Okay, um, not yeah, too that sure. sounds right. Yeah, it seems like yeah. it's getting pretty popular. There's lots of companies doing this kind of thing. There's a handful of them out there, yeah, and it, again, it's a reflection of um, 
you know, the, the technology and the processes are becoming more widely available. You know, they have back in the back in the day, and by that I mean even a, you know, less than a decade ago, it would cost you, mm-hmm. you know, seven figures easily to get some of these sequencing equipment and you know get everything set up and all of the reagents and enzymes and all the things that go into it are specialized and they're astronomically expensive and it just is very prohibitive for really anyone that didn't have like VC uh, capital or you know mm-hmm. you know major backing to to get into I think that's changing so you're seeing more organizations kind of pop up um, but hopefully hopefully you know, it's a good thing, right? You want to have, as a consumer, you want to have choices. You want to have competition to keep people honest and fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I see it as a good thing. I think that, uh, you know, there's plenty of space out there for, you know, these types of services to be offered. And, you know, you need that almost self-policing, if you will, of people staying honest and, and doing the yeah. right thing with the data. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Do you take tests from all over the USA then, or like legal states? Yeah, for the for the tissue and for like water and nutrient substrate stuff like that, we do. Um, you know, the, there's the thought there is we passed in the most recent. Maybe it's not the most recent now. Is the well, the 2018 farm bill? I think it was. Um, they recategorized uh, or reclassified hemp, so mm-hmm. hemp is legal to grow in the, in the states. I think it's 0.3% total THC is the threshold that they've established. Um, you know, despite hemp cannabis, you know, it's being the same plant, essentially, it's just different phenotypes or genotypes. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, so when you're sending over very small, you know, eraser sized bits of leaf tissue, in most cases, it's, it's going to have mm-hmm. of immature plants, you know, it's going to easily fall below that 0.3% cannabinoid or total THC threshold. So we kind of operate under those understandings. Um, hopefully, as, as we said earlier, you know, interstate transport and shipping is going to get resolved and that'll open up the door for more of the cannabinoid testing and, you know, some more in-depth analysis. But until then, we've got to, got to kind of play by the rules that are set forth. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the hemp industry, oh, sorry, Mackie. No, no, it's so good. You got it on I was just going to ask, do you do a lot of work for the specifically the hemp industry or, you know, not the cannabis, legal cannabis, but like, uh, yeah, like hemp farmers and that kind of thing? Yeah, we do some for sure. Um, I would say it's right now it's more of a minority of our business, but um, we certainly have done some work with them. Um, really, the bulk of our work comes from when you're talking about the sex testing is a lot of home growers to yeah. small, mid-sized grows. Um, and then a lot of like the gene sequencing and a lot of like the really in-depth pathogen screening is more of the mid-size to larger grows, I would say. Um, although we do get uh, some hobbyists that are interested in the, the pathogen testing as well from time to time. Yeah, that's cool. The reason I ask, I work for a, an extraction company here in Saskatoon and we're like a hybrid company. So we do, um, there's like a breeding program where we're, we're breeding our own hemp to extract from kind of thing. And and uh, they do a lot of, you know, very specific, obviously, well, they're looking for very specific traits and these types of things, obviously, being breeders and whatnot. And something like this, you know, if, if they're not using it, they they probably should be. <laughs> I don't know if they are or not, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a inter- whole really interesting uh, realm of, of things to get into in terms of have the hemp side of uh, 
of everything. But uh, yeah, I guess for minority or for the stage that it's at right now, probably they kind of know what they have and what they want and already got that. So sure. it's, a, it's a little bit more, I guess, more established of an industry, especially over in Europe um, in terms of the cultivars available. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can always improve, I think. And and yeah, I was just, uh, just curious. Definitely, definitely. But where can our listeners find you? Because we have many listeners who grow cannabis and they, mm-hmm. they might be interested in some of your services. So where would they be able to find those services? Yeah, yeah. Our best way to find us is just through our website, uh, rimrockanalytical.com. Um, we're on Instagram as well, same name, Rimrock Analytical. Uh, try to be as responsive as possible on our website. We've got uh, you know technical resources and things you can browse through if you like. Um, you know, we've got a contact area if, if you have any questions, comments, whatever. Uh, love to chat, love to nerd out on this stuff. So yeah, feel free to check us out and drop us a line if you like. <laughs> super cool man i wish i could give it a shot i'm not even growing anything right now so i wouldn't even have anything to test i could send you some lemon tree though but like yeah tell me about this lemon tree here love this shit yeah. very cool nice well you already know you love it mackie what else do you need to know there you well, go well i need taylor to know as well there you go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. just wants to make let the whole world know so the whole world tree. i have to sing it from the rooftops that's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, don't start off with the Christmas carols, bro. Yeah. It's a super cool service. And like I said, if there was like if you guys were here, I'd be probably in your office every week. So and it's actually only people. 13 quid as well. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, yeah. Cool. You guys are you uh, I hear that lightening up on COVID restrictions, so maybe we'll make a trip out there and check it out. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be that'd be tight. Sweet. Well, thank you very much for joining us then, Taylor. We'll let you go and do your thing and let you carry on with your testing. I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it so much, guys. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for yeah. joining us, man. It's been very interesting, very science We like that. That's cool, man. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, yeah. Cool, guys. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. Stay high. Yeah, likewise. Take care, guys. Goodbye. See ya. So we do the Good wave. Taylor. Everybody wave. TG, wave. We can see you're not wave. waving, TG. Bye. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> So there we go, everybody. That was Taylor Robinson from Rimrock Analytical. And you can find Rimrock Analytical by going to their website, which is rimrockanalytical.com. And you can also find them on social media. Just use your favorite search engine, type in Rimrock Analytical, and you'll be able to find out the different social networks that they're on. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Thank you for downloading it. It would be great if you could share it, but of course, no pressure. We're back to a normal schedule next week. Cannabis News on Monday, interview Wednesday, Grow Guides on Friday. And if you're free on Sunday, of course, then you can find us live over on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash high on homegrown. It'll be awesome to see you there in the live chat. So have a good weekend. Stay high, stay safe, and we'll see you on Sunday, hopefully. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.